It's so wonderful to come and preach after the stage been set. It's such an amazing worship. Um, one of the things of the temple is actually a picture of us being having the opportunity to declare our, um, how much we value God, the worth that we declare to Him, and we had the opportunity of doing so much of that already here this morning. But um, yeah, so let's get into the Word. So on um, September 11, 2001, there was a terrorist attack on the World Trade Center in New York. I'm sure everybody knows about that, with uh, two planes flying into the Twin Towers, destroying the Twin Towers. Five years later, which um, I've asked around, not many people seem to know about it, but the construction of the Freedom Tower was started in 2006. Uh, the Freedom Tower was built by America, and they said that that has, will be a beacon or stand as a memorial and testament to their resolve, their resolve to bounce back, their resilience, their um, capacity to endure, to rebuild and recover, and also as a testimony to their wealth and prosperity. So the Freedom Tower was completed in, 2000, in uh, two, yeah, 2014. And on completion, it stands 396 met meters tall. I think there's one more slide, actually. You can go get an idea of how tall it is, how big it is. So it's 396 meters tall, with that spike on top of it, doing another 142 meters, making a total of 538 meters tall that it stands. It's got 94 stories of inhabitable floor space, and covers that, that floor space is, adds up to just over a million square meters. Okay? The Freedom Tower is a beautiful building, and no cost was paid in building the building, as they wanted to be a testimony to their wealth and prosperity. And also, it's got excessive safety features, as you can imagine, after what happened to the Twin Towers. And so, that is what it is. But the Freedom Tower was completed at a cost of 2.3 billion US dollars. I mean, 3.8 billion US dollars, sorry. And today, that is the most expensive building ever built by a man in the modern era. You would think of other buildings, maybe more expensive. Think of the tallest building in the world. That's the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, which we actually saw. That stands at 828 meters. If you knew that, that is incredibly tall. And that was built at 3.11 million US dollars. So if you convert that into rands, that is a building cost of 68,000 rand per square meter. Okay, quite extravagant. But friends, about 3,000 years ago, on a mound outside Jerusalem, now in Jerusalem, Solomon constructed a temple called the Temple of Solomon under the instruction of his father. And that temple and the construction of it, you can read in 1 Chronicles 28 through to 2 Chronicles um, chapter 7. It is a very interesting read, and I would encourage you to go and do that. And hopefully after you've heard of this morning, you would because it really is very interesting. But in contrast to the Freedom Tower, Solomon's temple stood at only 13.7 meters tall. It is 27.4 meters long and 9.1 meters wide, giving you a total floor space of 250, just over 250 square meters. Okay? And it took America eight years to build the Freedom Tower, it took the Israelites seven years to build Solomon's temple. But here is the staggering comparison. The temple 
was built to represent God. And because David realized what an incredible responsibility that would be, and how, um, what a declaration of God's worth that would be, and the significance of that building to all nations. David did not, he actually had it in his heart to build a temple, because up until that time, God's presence, represented by his ark, was housed in what was called the tabernacle, which was a foldable structure. It was, uh, they could move around with it. And once he's established the kingdom and they moved into Jerusalem, David had it in his heart to build a temple where the presence of God could be housed. And so that was his desire. But God said to him that you are not the man to do it. Your son Solomon will do it. But David did not want to leave this great responsibility to Solomon just like that. He, he wants to do everything in his power to make sure that Solomon is going to do a great job. So what he did, he made meticulous plans, drew up plans for the building of the temple, but also he set up a fund. He set up a fund for the building of the temple. You'll find it there in Chronicles. And that fund from the state treasury, David deposited 100,000 talents of gold. Now, a talent is 38 kilograms, so that gives you 3,800 tons of gold. One million talents of silver, that is 38,000 tons of silver. And if that wasn't enough out of his personal treasury and personal wealth, he donated a further 3,000 talents of gold, another 110 tons, another 7,000 talents of silver, 260 tons. If still that wasn't enough, he gathered from the people and the leaders of the people a further 5,000 talents of gold. So another 190 tons. Another 10,000 talents of silver. 38 or 380 tons of silver. So not even counting all, this, all the bronze, which was another 675 tons, iron, 3,800 tons, wood, endlessly, precious stones, doesn't even say the number of it. Just adding up all the gold comes to 4.1 million kilograms. So 4,100 tons of gold. And at the price on Friday, which was 56,561 um, yeah, 6, yeah, $56, dollars per kilogram. 56,561 dollars per kilogram. The cost of that gold amounts to Anybody? <laughs> Just under 232 billion US dollars. And silver, the silver at $690 per kilogram came to 26.6 billion US dollars. Okay, that doesn't even account for all the other things. So, for the gold and silver alone that David set aside for the building of the temple, much of it going into it, I'm sure lots into the treasury as well. He had a fund of 257 billion US dollars. So converting that at a cost in rand per square meters gives you an excess of 18 billion rand per square meter. Staggering, isn't it? Absolutely staggering. Quite a thought. So friends, can you fathom the worth 
that God had, God's presence had for David and the nation of Israel. The worth that they ascribed to the honor and the privilege of housing his presence in their midst. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Okay. So this is the next slide. Okay, that's a picture of the cherubim, but next slide. So friends, Ephesians says, New Testament says, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We as a church, as every individual, are the ones who carry the presence of God, who has the honor and the privilege. So my question to you is, through this metaphor of the church being the temple, I believe the question the Holy Spirit is prompting each and every one of us with is what value does your life reflect that you place on the one to carry the presence of God inside you? The things that we do or we don't do, the values we do, that we hold to, the righteousness that we pursue, the holiness that we subscribe to, the sins that we resist, all these things reflect and bears testimony to the value that God has, but you have for God being housed inside of you. Quite a thought, isn't it? Sobering, but yet glorious too. So then, what do we learn from this metaphor of the church being a temple? I believe there are many things. There's many angles and things that you can look at it. And again, I just want to um, say that this is one of the metaphors. There are many aspects. We've seen a number of metaphors that we already looked at. But they, and each of them highlight one specific aspect. And today we're looking at the temple and what I believe the temple highlights for us and gives us an understanding of, but it is one of many. So it's not the only one. But within this metaphor, I believe that there are three things. The first is that, the tef- the, that to construct the temple came with a massive sacrifice. And we'll unpack that. Secondly, I believe that the temple... The purpose of the temple was to show the world who God is. So it is to reflect God to the people of the world. And the third is that the temple was built for God, not for man. So those are the three points we're going to work through. Firstly, that the temple was built, or for the building of the temple required a great sacrifice. So we've spoken already about the financial sacrifice, which you can just... Let your mind race through that one. But what about the time and effort? Did you know that Solomon conscripted over 200,000 people that worked around the clock for 
for, well, not 24 hours, but had shifts and all these things, but had uh, for seven years to construct the temple. 300, I mean, 30,000 of them were sent to Lebanon to cut wood and floated down the Mediterranean to Joppa, taken to Israel, I mean, to Jerusalem. There was 80,000 stone cutters that had to work the quarry to cut the stones for the building of the temple. There were 70,000 men that moved those stones from the quarry to the temple because they did not want any cutting to happen on the holy site of the temple. And then there was 3,600 people that just oversaw the work. They just instructed others, foremen, on the site. 20,000 putting it all together. So 200,000 men. That is a massive amount of man hours and manpower that was invested at a huge cost for the building of the temple. And then the sacrifices. Not mentioning all the sacrifices that started at the temple was actually before with the tabernacle and all those things, but say at the temple itself, and then continuing into the ages thereafter. Just on the day of inauguration, or actually the feast of inauguration, there was a 14-day feast that um, Solomon set aside and called for the celebration and the inauguration of the temple. At that time, 22,000 oxen were slaughtered, 120,000 sheep and goats. Now, as we are onto numbers, 422 animals per hour for 14 days slaughtered at the temple site. A bloody affair, don't you think? Yeesh. But that's the worst that I declared. So that's for the temple. Now for us, friends, the church. For God to build this church came at a huge sacrifice for him. Acts 20 verse 28 says that be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. God shed his own blood, bought with his own blood for us, the church to be built. That song, Ancient of Days, so beautiful. That is the church established, beautiful. All the things we sang this morning. But specifically, it was Jesus' blood, actually. Ephesians 2.20, I've read before already, it says that in Christ, I mean, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So for Jesus to be the, become the cornerstone of the church, he had to leave heaven behind. That privilege of being in unity with God, the, the Trinity, he had to set aside his divinity for a time to come to earth, being born as a, a helpless infant to a young girl, peasant girl and a, to a carpenter father. He lived his whole life in absolute obedience to his parents and not ever breaking any law of God, actually fulfilling everything perfectly just so that he could die the most torturous death imagined at the time for me and for you so that we can be the church to reflect the glory of God. So to build the church comes at a huge cost for God. But what about the cost for us as his people? There is a reality to it. There is a cost to pay. Tithing, offerings, that is a cost. It is a glorious one to give, and God always blesses us, but it is a cost. What about all the money that you forfeit by pursuing a righteous lifestyle, not getting involved in bribery and corruption, all those things? Many contracts, I know, people here lose for pursuing God's way. It is a huge cost. What about the time and effort 
you know, to make a Sunday happen. There are many people who spend hours here beforehand, before we all come. Just about the worship team, but there are many others too during the week. Hours of preparation and things that people put in to maintain this building and to, so that we as a church can gather. There is cost. It is a glorious cost though, but it is a cost. Myself and Ingrid, was part of, when we went to Dubai, was hosted by a couple who were in the worship band um, at the time. And for the four days of the conference and the Sunday, we got up early every morning. We rose and left at the crack of dawn to be there. We were the first people to open and the last people to leave. Four days straight, this poor couple, and they had to pick us up midnight the day before. And, but friends, not a single complaint about it because it is the greatest joy to do it. But it is a cost. There is a cost to it. What about all the pain and suffering that we endure? 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So just like the physical stones were cut by the stone cutters to fit their exact place in the wall where they needed to go, so you and I are being cut. We are being shaped and we are being fashioned to fit in this specific place allocated for us in God's building through trials and sufferings. There's a story that Michelangelo was once asked, how does he do this sculpturing that he does? He was busy sculpting a horse, apparently, and this bystander said to him, how do you get the horse out of this big block of marble? And Michelangelo said, well, it's actually quite easy. I just chip away at everything that is not horse. So friends, that is what God is doing in our lives. He is chipping away everything in us that is not Jesus because he wants us to reflect Jesus. That is the purpose of the church, to reflect him and let his glorious light shine into the world. That's the function that we have. God is building. Another little story is that uh, apparently the king of Sparta one day was sort of showing off or boasting to another monarch that was visiting him, saying that, um, you know, boasting about the great walls around Sparta. And then this visiting king looked around and he was taken aback and he said to the king of Sparta, well, there are no walls around Sparta. To which the king of Sparta <laughs> pointed at his personal guard and his troops and he said, these are the walls of Sparta and every man a brick. And that is who we are. You know how proud God is of us when we display Christ through our lives. When we cooperate with him to let Christ shine through us and we take our place in his building. We, the people, are the bricks of the church that God is building. Great. So friends, uh, it is my prayer that as we surrender to God's dealings with us in our lives, that it would become our testimony, as it was the testimony of James, when he said in James 2, verse 4, 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I rewrite it so that you can be perfect, fitting into your slot and fulfilling your purpose to which God has called you in this glorious building called the church.
That's point number one. So it comes at a sacrifice. Point number two, that the temple was to be holy. In other words, it was to be set apart. And it was to be set apart for the express purpose of reflecting who God is to the nations of the world. In 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5, David says this. He says, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. So that is why no cost was spared in the building of the temple. Now, friends, can I just say one thing now? Remember, I'm not talking about this building. I do not think it is God's idea that buildings today is to reflect who He is. It is us. There's nothing wrong with having a nice building, but we are to invest in our lives. We are to work on us to display Him. This preach is not about getting an ornate building. It's about us being and allowing the ordinateness of the beauty of Jesus to come through us and devoting and giving ourselves to that wholeheartedly. Yet the temple was built because it was Old Testament. It's on the Old Testament um, picture. And during those times, the building was there to reflect God. And so the building you'll find, if you study it, the temple has got a huge number of symbolism. And things are in there. I'm just going to run over a few things, but there are many. This last week, um, Judy was looking at the menorah, just one of them, and we as a life group spent a whole hour what, just looking at the menorah, and we didn't even get to the end of all the symbolism that that hurt has. The menorah is a, candle, is a lampstand. So all the gold that was used was to reflect God's purity, His holiness, and His infinite value to the people of Israel. Then the Ark of the Covenant that was put in the Holy of Holies, that represents the presence of God, but it shows of His character that He is a righteous God, that He is a holy God, that He is just, also that He is merciful, that He has got great compassion, that He creates an opportunity for us to be made right with that law. There's so many things. His faithfulness to the nation of Israel, His covenantal commitment to them and to each one of us, it's all in there in the Ark of the Covenant. The menorah, I said, mentioned, but that's a picture of the Trinity. It's a picture on Jesus, of Jesus being the light. It's a picture of the vine and the branches that Chris spoke about last week. It's a picture of, of the power of Jesus over darkness. So good over evil. This light expels darkness. There's so many things there that, is, is there that is, um, shows forth to who God is because the purpose of the temple was to reflect God to the nations. The altar of incense, it shows the incredible detail of God. It shows the opportunity that He gives us to be made right before we enter into His presence. But the detail of what the incense had to be made with, there's a whole chapter, I think it's in Deuteronomy, I'm not sure now, just devoted to how you make this incense that had to be burnt there. It is an express detail, infinite detail. God knows the details of your and my lives. The outer courts, I haven't even spoken about it, but the outer court. You know that it was, uh, I said the side of the temple just being that the structure itself, the temple, but the outer court, they say, I couldn't find anywhere the actual size, but the archaeologists um, believe that 75,000 people could be housed or could be hosted there in the outer court. 
So it's a picture of God's incredible inclusiveness. It's a picture of God's um, heart for the nations, that it was always, when he came to Abram, he said that you would be a blessing so that, well, I'll bless you so that you can be a blessing. It's always been for the nations to come to worship him, for the nations of the world to come and pray at the temple, to come to get to know him. That's the picture of the outer court is the altar, that they can have sacrifices made on behalf of them for their sins so they can be reconciled to their creator. It's a picture of God's compassion and of his, of his love for all people and, and his desire to have intimacy with us. The temple represents as a whole a place of prayer. So now, if the temple is a place primarily where God had the intention for people to come to pray, to come to get to know him. And that outer court people would, in the colonnades, they would be, the rabbis would be teaching the people about who God is. That is God's desire for us to come to know him. It is his desire that at the temple we can be restored in our relationship with him, that there can be a, a, an opportunity for us to actually come to worship the one true God. That is what the temple's intention was. So then, friends, if we are that temple now, the question I'm asking you is, those people that come to you, that come under the influence of your life, will they find God there when they just hang with you? Will you give them the opportunity to be made right with God through what your lifestyle reflects? Acts 17, verse 26 and 28 to 28 is all about that. It says that from one man, God created all men on earth, all nations on earth. And he set the exact times, well, set the times and the exact places for them to live. It is actually there as well. No, it's not. Okay, but you can look at it. Acts 17, verse 26, 28. So he set the times and the exact places for them to live. And then it carries on and says, God did this in the hope that people would seek him and perhaps call out to him and find him. For in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, people in our worlds are desperate for God. And when they cry out to him, God's desire is that he would find, they would find him in you. Because in him we are to live and move and have our being. So we carry him all the time around with us. So at your workplace, wherever you are, can people find God? Can they come to be introduced to the one and only true God that the world is desperate for? That is our responsibility as a church. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will, will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So just another verse that enforces and reinforces the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the building now, the temple that God is building here on earth. It is us. So... Just as a temple is reflecting all about who God is, his attributes, his qualities, his personality, his heart, the question is, do we do that then for ourselves? And just to massage that point even more, is does our heart 
reflect God's heart for the nations. You know, we often speak about reaching out to the nations. And maybe it is like foreign for you, and you, you don't. I was one of those. I literally, I love South Africa. I'm a, I don't know how many generations South African. And I'm just passionate about this country. And for many years, I could not care what happens around. As long as we are safe, it's all about us. But God broke my heart for the nations actually here at a prayer meeting. And it's totally transformed my life. Does your heart reflect God's heart for all nations? That's what we are to reflect. Our relationships, the way that we interact with people, does it reflect God's heart for people and for relationships? Our responses to difficult situations. You know, when you are wronged, how do you respond? How do you respond? When you are angered, are you, do you give yourself the liberty to just fly off the handle and say, well, I've got a short temper, that's just who I am? I don't think it's right, friends. I don't think we've got that luxury to say that because we are to reflect God's character. It's not about us. We are carrying His presence inside of us. When you are wronged, are you, are you quick to take revenge or are you quick to show mercy? Are you slow to anger, like God says He Himself is? And are you quick to forgive? Does your value system reflect God's value system? The things that we prize, that we value in our lives. And you can measure it by looking at where you spend your time, your energy, and your money. Quite an easy one. What is your value system? Does your lifestyle reflect God's character? The way of Jesus you can learn from him. In his biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's about the life of Jesus. Don't just read it to say what Jesus taught. Look at it. What was the way that Jesus lived? Does our lives reflect the way that he lived, the way that he loved, the way that he interacted with people? So friends, can you imagine an Old Testament Hebrew just with the incredible value that they, he attached or she attached to the temple? Do anything, even remotely, to do damage to that temple. Can you imagine that? That they would mar the picture or the image of the temple. They were so proud of that temple. So friends, now for us, how much more should we make it our priority that our lives does not do anything to mar the image of who God is in this world and what people see of who God is? And our actions and all that we do, we just cannot, friends, have any part in any questionable morally or ethically practices. Paul says that there should be not be even a hint of sexual immorality among you because we're reflecting God, remember. It's not about us and what we are allowed, what's permissible for us, those kind of things. It is not, it's about him. Our actions and the things that we take part in. For example, to be divisive. We just cannot do that, friends. Anything that would do damage to the image of, who, of God's church, we can't be part of it. To be, have slanderous speak coming out of our mouths or to badmouth other churches or church leaders. Or, it just cannot be, friends. It cannot be part of our lives. Why not? Because David said in 1 Chronicles 22 verse 5, he said that the temple, which is for the Lord, in other words, you and me, we should be a display of the great magnificence and fame and splendor of God 
in the sight of all nations. So now, <laughs> doesn't this honor both excite but also terrify you? It does me at the same time. I think it is an immense honor to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God inside of us. Who are we that we, we can even fathom that thought? But that's what God did. That's why God died for us, sent His Son to die for us, so that we can do that. He doesn't ask of us anything that we cannot do, that He doesn't empower us to do. And that's what He wants. It's an immense honor to display who God is to the world. When they look at our lives, will they find Jesus? Will they find Him and fall in love with Him? Not find Him and want to run away from Him. But find Him and fall in love with Him. But at the same time, it is a terrifying responsibility. But as I said, God empowers us and enables us to do it. So, I think a very good thought to have in our minds or a grid to judge our actions by is when you are contemplating to do something, is to ask yourself the question, what will this action that I'm about to do or route that I'm about to embark on, what would that do to the image of who God is to people around me? Don't you think it's a good one? I think so. Point number three, the temple was for the Lord. 1 Chronicles 29.1, David again says, This task is great, because this palatial structure is not for man, but for Yahweh, the Lord God. And so, friends, so often we hear this thing that church just doesn't work for me, it just doesn't do it for me, or church doesn't fit in with my lifestyle, or my, you know, my recreational times or things like that. You got it all wrong if that's your image. We are, the church is not here to bless us. It's not here to serve us. The church is here for Him. That's what we exist for. We come because we are devoted to Him. We serve Him and we've got this incredible glorious joy and uh, responsibility and everything to reflect Him to the world. But you know what the secret is? The more you give yourself to that, the more you are blessed. It's like a weird way that God works it, but the thing is that you are thoroughly blessed when you don't come to be blessed, but when you come to be a blessing, and that's what the church is about. That's what it is. So we give ourselves wholeheartedly for this gathering of God's people, for God's reflection to the world, to display His glory, His splendor, His attributes, everything. Us as a church is here to create an environment in which people can come to know and love the one and true living God and found Him. That's our work. Matthew 16, 18 says, Jesus speaking to Peter, He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the church is not man's idea to bless man. The church is God's idea for the glory of his fame. It is for him and he builds it. All we have to do is to surrender to his chiseling away at us and give ourselves to that process. Ephesians 2, 2 verse 10 and 11 says that the church is for the display of God's wisdom. For who? To who? Have you ever thought of it? We read that verse but we somehow block out the next couple of words. It is that the intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to 
rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's a whole nother preach there. The heavenly realms. We are here to display the magnificence of God, not only to man, but to the heavenly realms. That means not only when people see you at all times, even in your thinking, in your everything, <laughs> we are to bring glory to God and display His wisdom. The church is called to bear witness to the grace of God. Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show, He might show, the incomparable riches of His grace. It's all God. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So the church is to be exhibit number one of the grace of God to the world. We have to show, display it amongst ourselves to one another. So my friends, the church that God is building and we are a part of is a costly affair. It comes at great sacrifice. But it is for the glory of Him. And it is for His purposes. It is to serve Him. But I trust in my prayers that you and I, together with David, would, would say this, what I'm going to read for you in 1 Chronicles 29. When David, I mean actually Solomon, sorry, spoke and said, oh no, there's David, sorry. David said about what they did. It says there, from verse 13, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14, sorry. It says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. It's my prayer that we would not cast off the restraint, but that we would actually willingly give ourselves for the building of this palatial, glorious structure called the church, which is us, to display his glory throughout the world. So the USA built the Freedom Tower as a monument to the indemnable spirit of man. Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem to display the character and worth of Yahweh, the God of Israel, to all nations around. Jesus is building his church to display the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to the world that is desperate out there and needs a savior. So we, you and me, we are that church for the display of God. And so my question to us is, 
Will you voila, surrender to the hand of God? Surrender to His chisel and hammer to shape us, to fit our perfect place in this building, to bring glory to Him. Will you and I co cooperate with the Holy Spirit and rise to become that glorious representation of Christ here on earth? Amen. So won't the band come up, please? And I'd love for us to stand. So at the start of the meeting, we did speak about worship, and we mentioned it, and I've mentioned it throughout the thing as well, but I thought it would be wonderful if we could close this meeting in worship, because one of the things of worship is to declare the worth of the one to whom you are singing. So I would encourage you, and I'd like to kind of really ask you to sing this beautiful anthem of praise as a declaration of how worth, what worth God has for you and the glorious joy and privilege of housing His presence inside of us. So let's sing this, declaring His worth together.